Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. Hello and welcome again to Genius at Scale. Today's guest is Jed Ayers, CEO of iGel. Jed, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Well, thank you so much, first of all, John, for having me on your uh, podcast. I don't think I've ever been associated with anything that had genius in the name. So uh, great to be here. Uh, I'm a Northern California kid, grew up uh, in California and uh, had the lucky stroke of getting into technology a little over 25 years ago and uh, spent about 20 years in the solution provider reseller world. And, uh, and then I moved over to the software side in 2015 and now currently running a um, software company that's actually based in Germany. And it's been an incredible journey. It was actually a thin client company selling hardware when I got here and we've transformed it into a software company. And uh, we were acquired during COVID uh, by a private equity. And so it's been an amazing kind of six and a half year journey at, at IGEL. And what does iGel do? Yeah, so we are in the end user compute space and uh, we're a Linux operating system. And if, if your listeners know VDI or desktop as a service or any kind of uh, cloud delivered you know, applications, actually, right? You, you uh, have to deliver those to a device that has an operating system on it. And I'm sure your listeners know that Windows tends to be a really you know, complex, hard to manage, hard to secure operating system. It's great because it's very rich and we're all used to using it, but it's uh, it's very challenging in large companies, especially ones that need to protect data. Um, and so a lot of those companies like, you know, retailers and hospitals and banks like to use, a, you know, a virtualization technology so that the device has no data on it. And so uh, we're a Linux operating system that's read-only, super secure, really hardened, very easy to manage and um, scale. And so, yeah, we've basically been growing uh, very, very nicely through COVID as people have worked from home or from anywhere. And uh, yeah, we're kind of a disruptive piece of technology. And ironically, we actually partner with Microsoft. They're one of our biggest partners. And, you know, just like they're delivering Office from the cloud uh, through Microsoft, you know, 365. They're now really embracing delivering Windows as if it was an application, right? Um, and so we are a, a great choice to sit underneath that solution, as well as Citrix and VMware as the other two players in this space. So COVID was a an unexpected gift for you. That that helped you. Yeah, it was uh, definitely, it sort of really opened people's mind up to the idea that uh, one, people could work anywhere. Um, so a lot of the call centers and different, even healthcare uh, places where people never thought it was okay to work from home, suddenly it became a necessity. Um, and of course they still needed security, need to be able to manage the devices. So it was definitely, it was a boon, but obviously we also faced all the same human uh, challenges and all the complexities that went along with, um, you know, being a leader, managing a team of hundreds of people through a, a time frame when you couldn't really see them. So, yeah, it was a gift, I think, in terms of breaking inertia, John, uh, you know, and um, really opening people's mind to a cloud delivered architecture. Um, but yeah, it was it was and it didn't come without its challenges. <laughs> I could imagine, especially because you're 
uh, a German company as well. How did you manage two countries when you couldn't travel or, or people didn't want to travel? Well, uh, you can see behind me, I uh, installed a Zoom room in my house <laughs> and uh, you know, um, you know, really uh, did my best to, to be very present. And you know, sometimes I actually, the reason why I did that is you find uh, in Zoom, uh, as we're doing right now, you know, you're distracted by your computer. So one thing about having a big screen like that, you're kind of you know, not going to get distracted by all the things that are popping up on your device and you're a little more immersively connected. So yeah, lots of communication, town halls, uh, lots of written communication. Yeah, we did everything we could to sort of like, you know, all the things everyone tried, right? Happy hours and trivia and just tried to do everything we could to keep, uh, you know, our employees connected and um, mentally healthy. But it was, yeah, it was, it was an, I, I took over just, just to put in context for you. I had been with the company started in June of 2016 and uh, I was the CEO of North America and I was the global CMO. 2019, I became the co-CEO from the founder who founded the company in 2001. Well, uh, on February 6, 2020, uh, he handed me a, a flaming torch in front of our whole company and said, yo, good luck. Um, and you know what happened six <laughs> weeks later, right? Like I was literally, I, I told the whole you know team, which two thirds of our company are in Europe. And I told them all, yo, I'll be right back, right? I'm, I'm an American, but I'm very committed to, you know, being a CEO that's uh, uh, present and you'll see me again soon. And um, that Friday that they shut down the flights, if you remember, um, that I was actually scheduled to fly to Germany. And yeah, it took me two years <laughs> to get yeah. back to Germany. So how, did, how do you manage so. the challenges between certainly different cultures, uh, different work ethics, but also different languages at times? Or does most of your staff in Germany speak and... Yeah, so, culturally okay with English as well. When we, uh, one of the things that the reason why the founder kind of you know sought me out and we we had uh, an agreement in the beginning of of my tenure here as a CMO was you know English was going to be the language that we're going to center on right. And while we have a German website, English is the native tongue of IT right and tech, and so okay. that has become the uh, yeah that's. Yeah, we still we still uh, sometimes when there's very nuanced, uh, you know, things that we need to make sure everyone understands where, you know, English may be a second uh, language. We do put it out in German, but uh, for the most part, everything we do inside the company today is in English. And that's yeah. not a that's not a source of dissension at all. Everyone's OK with that. Everyone's good with it. I mean, I think. It was also really healthy because a lot of the marketing when I got here was like um, overly technical. And so putting it into English, kind of inverting it into a software business outcome, you know, um, model was actually really helpful in exposing this beautiful IP that we had that was sort of trapped inside of a thin client um, right. box. Um, so yeah, it was a, it's been an insane journey. Um, I can imagine. So you have, uh, in your ascension, you have what I'll call a natural experiment. I mean, uh, scientists love this when, a, when an experiment presents itself naturally. You were the North American CEO, so you're de dealing with a, a U.S.-based division or, or company, and then you become 
in fairly short order, the global head, what's the difference or, or what, are the, what are the um, differences in scaling a U.S. company versus a dual company or a dual country company? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we kind of call ourselves an international company because we're not okay. global yet. Um, so we're, we're really focused on EMEA and the U.S. And uh, in the U.S., it was actually a real gift because we didn't have some of the you know 15 years of history of a hardware company. And so everybody in the Europe kind of knows iGel as a thin client company. It, luckily, no one really knew iGel in the United States, and we were able to present it as a piece of software that was you know, um, really disruptive. And we actually, in fact, created a user conference around the word disrupt. And uh, yeah, so it, it, the US, it was really all about selling to the enterprise and selling software. And then in the legacy business has been more focused in the SMB and selling hardware. And so, yeah, it's a very different you know, route to market, different sellers, different channel partners, we're 100% channel, so that's also been interesting, right? And so, mm -hmm. yeah, the the trick is, you know, it's a very healthy business, and you know, it's actually we're number one thin client player in Germany since 2006. And so, this is actually the, uh, the very interesting moment that you uh, record this podcast with us, because in addition to having really sturdy, wonderful relationships with the guys who are delivering these uh, virtual Windows sessions and applications, Citrix, VMware, and Microsoft used to build devices, uh, we actually are announcing uh, right now that we're actually exiting our iGel branded hardware and, and we're referring our customers to these great relationships that we have with HP, Lenovo, and LG. Um, and so that's also been a huge driver of kind of the transformation of the company is moving from selling our own branded hardware, which as you can imagine, Germans love to buy German things built by Germans. You know, the a German doesn't buy a Toyota, um, they buy a BMW or a Mercedes, right, and, or an Audi. And so that's a, that's a turning point for us right now that we're working through, right, is uh, sunsetting our own hardware and and then pulling up these, you know, the leading device manufacturers, really HP and Lenovo and LG, and they're shipping and certifying our product out of their, out of their factory. So it's a, a fascinating moment that we find ourselves in, John. Wow. So this is this is the equivalent of a podcasting like TMZ scoop here. We're we're, yeah. we're getting it. We're just, so I got to keep it quiet until you. Until well, we'll 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 announce this uh, on uh, November seventeenth. Uh, so next. Okay, Thursday. good. So this this will go this will go to go to town right. Now. I'll wait till after the seventeenth to, to to yeah. We won't we won't uh, we won't steal your thunder. So, yeah, so uh, we've been telling our partners right now and our employees, but yeah, we're basically going to make a big public announcement. And yeah, we're really excited about, you know, that uh, puts us into this sort of pure software orientation. And, uh, you know, it changes some of the, the weight of the company in terms of um, just, you know, having to hold inventory and all the logistics of managing hardware. Uh, you know, we, we put that into the uh, arms of, companies that are really good at it, right? And of yeah. course, through the supply chain challenges of COVID, we found out real quick who the you know, masters of you know, uh, supply chain are, right? And uh, being a niche player, it uh, has its challenges. So yeah, in terms of scale, our real story has been about focus, right? Really focus in on one thing 
that we know we could do well. And you and I got here, right? We resold windows. We made hardware. We now do one thing, which is we build a great Linux operating system. And uh, that's what we're focused on 100%. And that was the key to scaling a lot faster. Totally. I mean, we basically, it, it's kind of like, you know, our version of when Steve Jobs came back and, you know, got rid of the 115 things in the catalog, right? And got it down to a handful of things. It was, it was really about like, what are, what are we truly differentiated on? Um, well, it's definitely not building hardware, right? Even though we thought we, we, we built, built a really nice device and we put a bigger warranty on it than everyone else. It was really what was differentiating that box was the software. Right. And so, yeah, this, this scaling exercise has been around focus. And that's also part of why we're not in a whole bunch of other markets to get sort of uh, credibility in IT. I think you have to succeed in the U.S. And so it was all about, you know, um, getting uh, the right players, uh, the right customers, the right references, and, you know, yep. not being distracted by Australia or Japan or, you know, these other emerging markets uh, in Latin America or whatever. So it was, that was really our focus, was getting a, a foothold in the U.S. And interestingly, you, know, you, you talked about, you know, cultural things. You know, the, the Germans had sent a German over here in the uh, early 2000s. They'd sent a, a British guy over in, uh, you know, sort of 2014. All of those uh, experiments had ended badly. And so, you know, this was part of how I got uh, the keys to do the things I needed. Where it was like, I'm an American and, you know, we're going to build a plan. We'll agree on the plan before I even joined um, in terms of how we would succeed the third time. So yeah, the third time was definitely the charm. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So I'm curious, uh, as a company, I mean, you're, you're you're in two countries. Do you adopt the mindset of a challenger, like you're cha you're chasing somebody, or do you do you guys hold the the mentality or the mindset that we're the incumbent, like we're the we're the pl we're the player to we own I, this? I would say, John, it's like switched a little bit it was interesting because when we first started i was like i had this special plan that i built it was called operation 150 it was all about getting 150 units sold uh in the u.s and going from like seventh place to third place and yep. so that was definitely a challenger mindset and it was a disruptor mindset because part of what we were also uh showing the world is that uh you could actually take the operating system off the box and this is the real disruptor part it was that 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 OS was extensible to other hardware, legacy old hardware that wouldn't run with the latest versions of Windows. So you could put this really thin, secure, manageable OS on an old device that might be headed to a landfill and then pull down your virtual uh, Windows session. And so this had a whole bunch of sustainability, but it, more importantly, it was about cost savings for companies, right? When you right. intersect 10,000 devices that people think they have to end of life, and you, you breathe new life into them, even if it's just for a couple of years, that can be millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, and so, gigantic, yeah gigantic cost savings. Yeah. yeah, so that part of it the, the became more of a disruptor. And so that's why our user conference got the name Disrupt, because it was about disrupting kind of the legacy incumbent hardware guys that are just sort of on this hamster wheel of, hey, we got to sell you a new device. You know, a third of your devices come off the network every year and you replace it because you have this sort of you're chasing Moore's law, right? Ever bigger operating system, yeah. uh, faster, bigger chipset. Right. And so 
we we actually sort of subscribe to the idea that you can slow that down through a cloud uh, delivered architecture, right? And so that you get devices, a lot of people's devices today, they actually have nothing on them, right? They're really getting everything from a SaaS platform somewhere. And so, yeah, this is uh, this is the future we believe. And I think COVID bored out in a, in a way that, yeah. uh, there's very few dissenters that, that don't believe that if everything can be delivered from the cloud. And if you're gonna do that, you're going to kind of centralize your windows. Why would you put windows on the edge again? Kind right. of def- the purpose. So that, that I guess, hopefully answers your question. It was like, I think we were kind of a, a, a challenger in the beginning, but now, ironically, those guys we were challenging, we're partnering with them. They're, they're working with us because our relationship uh, with Microsoft, Citrix, and VMware is so innovative and so strong and we're moving. A part of the other thing with COVID is collaboration technology has taken such, it's created such an agile uh, development cycle that these hardware companies with their kind of legacy Linux uh, distributions they couldn't keep up, right? Especially because a lot of the developers were in China, um, and you know the the sort of zero COVID policies in China have made it challenging. So yeah, they they what was a challenger relationship has now become like our most important partnerships. Right. So uh, there's a theory in scaling that a lot of um, VCs, I get it from VCs all the time, but also from CEOs, that the company can only scale at the pace of the CEO scaling, like your own capabilities. What do you do as a CEO to keep yourself in a growth mindset or, or moving forward or becoming the CEO that's going to be, lead this team three years from now as opposed to the one that is struggling to keep up? Because you, you you see companies kind of stall out a lot when the CEO says, it, it's different. Once we hit 1,000 customers or once we hit 500 employees, I, I just didn't like it anymore. Well, right. what, do you, what do you do to, to scale, if you will, your own capability or your own uh, competence? I mean, I think the most important like mindset is always be uh, a learner, right? A lifetime learner. And where do you learn? You learn from your employees, you learn from your partners, you learn from your customers. So I try to get a steady, you know, um, diet of interactions with all three of those populations. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's very energizing typically. It's very informative. Um, and you kind of, you know, build your your next thesis on you know how you're going to drive the 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 growth of the company right where's the focus where are the risks so yeah i mean i think as a leader you have to be a great listener you have to be able to ask the right questions and you have to have a steady um you know uh trustful open honest dialogue with those populations um and and yeah you got to be able to do that at scale, and I can tell you, I don't get a lot of sleep because if you work German hours on the West Coast, you get up at you know three and four in the morning pretty much yeah. every day. No, I can I can imagine. <laughs> so, uh, always in a journey that's I mean, yours has ascended pretty quickly. Um, there's always call them potholes or pitfalls, or maybe you call them tuition that you that you had to pay. I'm curious, um, it's always fun to hear the success stories. But our listeners often ask us, what's the big mistake that they can share that I could perhaps learn from and avoid that myself? What was, what was the biggest, um, you could call it, 
mistake, I'd call it learning. And what was the tuition you had to pay on this scaling journey? I mean, I think uh, very few people, a lot of people will tell you, oh, I've worked with Germans and I understand Germans and I've had exposure to Germans. Uh, I think that's been the biggest like uh, learning curve for me, right? Is like, I've, I've worked I worked in companies that had uh, divisions in Germany, but I'd never worked for a company that had a headquarters in Germany, had two big offices, had you know over 200 people, had three workers councils, really had a, a religion around data protection. And so that has probably been the biggest tuition I would have to say that I paid. Uh, you know, I got a book from our founder about like, you know, doing business with Germans, but a lot of that was actually steeped in the, you know, sort of older generation of business in Germany, which has actually changed dramatically, right? The sort of very formal uh, culture of how, you know, when I first got to the company, you didn't go into the building without a tie on, right? It was a suit and tie kind of thing. Um, and so perfect yeah, for a Silicon Valley guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the first day with I, uh, I went to the office, I had a hoodie on. Just yeah, hoodie, <laughs> hoodie and, and bad jeans. And they're going, this is our CEO? Where do we find this guy? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's been an evolution on that front. But I would say that's the tuition that I paid, right, is really uh, paying uh, homage to, like, what actually uh, uh, you can get if you put this sort of really rigorous uh, attention to detail German engineering mindset, uh, you know, with this sort of more move fast, fail fast U.S. mindset. But I can tell you, I had a lot of frustration in the early days of of running the company, right? Because you're like, hey, well, they don't do it like we do, and they take 60 days of vacation a year, and why aren't they answering my email at you know nine o'clock at night? And so, you know, you get extraordinarily frustrated because you know, that's not how it's done here, right? You're you're available all the time and you, of course you're around for the weekend or whatever. And so, yeah, I think this is, uh, for me, you know, figuring out how to like embrace that and actually run towards it and, um, and, and understand, yeah, we're all different, right? And if you take the two differences, dif- you know, differences actually can make it stronger, right? Um, diversity actually can create a better outcome and uh, so I think that's been probably the the frustration because you get you get to a point where you're like, well, what, why don't they do it the way we do it, right? And yeah, yeah you have to just embrace it. That's so you're I'm, not um, you're not trying to do cultural conversion for the Germans to the U.S. way of thinking, and you're not you're trying not to do the reverse where you're trying to get the U.S. people to embrace the German way. You're just saying there's strengths in both, and let's take the best of it. Exactly. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And we're also just trying to get them to reflect on, yeah, we are different. Um, but, you know, we're all uh, trying to get to the same, you know, great outcome, which is build a company that leaves a mark on history, right? I mean, you think about the mark that Bill Gates left by building a great operating system. And we actually have a guy who chairs our board, who worked for Bill Gates and is an investor and, you know, our executive chairman, um, he was responsible for Windows 7 and Server 2011. And he came into the company and saw the opportunity. And his challenge to us is, let's build the best operating system in a generation, right? Like there's a, there's an opening right now with this sort of move to cloud that says a light, secure, manageable OS that can deliver a rich experience 
that's actually really valuable. And so, yeah, that's that's the course that we're on. And, you know, it takes a little bit of American bravado and dream big, fail fast. Uh, yep. And you marry that with this sort of fastidious German structured, highly uh, structured culture. And yeah, you get a great outcome. And, you know, yeah, we I can only say we took a 50 million dollar hardware company and we've turned it into a hundred million dollar software company. And we wow. did that about four years. So it's uh yeah. It, it, it's a very uh, yeah, and we're we're now, like I said, on another chapter. Yeah, you because know, very few software companies even make it to that hundred million right before they get acquired or whatever, right? So now we're on this sort of path of how how do we scale out of that? Yep. So at, at this recording, we're ten days before the World Cup starts. How much trouble are you in if you root for you, the U.S.? I mean, do, do you have to do you have to split your allegiance or? Or do you have to wear a, uh, a U.S. jersey in the front and a German jersey in the back? Or how, how do you play that one? Uh, I, I, um, I, I guess I would say I have go become a little bit more uh, tuned into the uh, the European football. Um, and I, I would say they've actually become more uh, tuned into the U.S. Uh, football. I don't know. I was at a Byron uh, Munich stadium, and there's a game in November. Game this weekend. Uh, yeah. yeah, Tampa. So, yeah, there's actually, I think, four NFL games uh, outside of the U.S. this year, yeah. one in Mexico and two in the U.K. and one in the first one ever in Germany. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the, uh, sports is the great, you know, we think about the Olympics. It's the great unifier, right, bringing yeah. uh, cultural, cu cultures together. But, yeah, I actually am super excited because we also just announced this week that we're um, – we're going to actually go back to Munich and Nashville in 2020 and um, do this disrupt event. The one I told you about where I got the torch. Uh, Cause right before the one in Munich, we do our own kickoff. So it's a huge, yeah, we were originally thinking, Oh, well, we'll do two kickoffs, one in the U S one in Germany. And then I realized as a leader, like we so badly need to put this whole cultural thing together. Right. And so, um, we're going back to the tradition that the company had, which I think is part of the success we've had about, you know, for 21 years, the uh, company always came together in Germany and sort of set the plan for the year. So, yep. God, COVID's over and uh, we're going back to, uh, I think, one of the big catalysts that has driven the company, which is, you know, just getting every, you know, we have 450 people. So getting them all in one room aligned on the same goals and, you know, charging forward. Yep. So which has been more challenging, scaling two very d distinct cultures or scaling? Obviously, you, you, you've done um, huge product shifts, which has been more challenging. I would say the product shifts have probably been more challenging because, you know, uh, we, you know, pulling all the levers, we were sort of under resourced in our back office. We didn't we're we're, we're also a two tier. We always go through distribution and a channel. So like when you are working with a, a sort of under resourced and under uh, invested back office, and then you're making this sort of switch, this has been probably the bigger challenge, right? Is just while you're flying the plane, you're trying to remodel the yeah. back office so that you can get scale and you can get renewals and you can automate the renewals and you can get, you know, um, the data that you need to make good decisions and investments. So that probably... I'm a human. I love, you know, uh, interacting with people of all cultures. And, you know, that part for me uh, is easier than 
trying to fly the plane and remodel it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Re- redo all, redo all the dashboard while you're while you're driving the plane. There you go. Not yeah. not so good. Not so good. Yeah. So one of the questions we ask all our guests for fun. Um, I'm going to do it two parts. I'm curious. You grew up in Northern California, so you were swimming in a high tech culture because it, it's everywhere in Northern California. Curious if you had grown up someplace different. You grew up in Alabama, or you grew up in maybe even the Northeast. Do you think you would have migrated to tech either way, or or was the That's fact that you grew up in Northern California a big influence? Yeah, you just never know like how your life is going to end up, right? I kind of can I literally track back, you know, uh, my collegiate career in one phone call where you know the the guy on the other line said, you know, you can't say no and all of a sudden I'm off the deep end into an internship that, you know, took me into tech. So I guess, you, you know, you, you never quite understand what fate will bring. Right. Um, I will say I grew up in a very small, rural, artistic, hippie, you know, town uh, in Northern California, Mendocino. Right. So um, there was a lot of bright people there and NASA had uh, made an investment in um, bringing the internet into the school and, course we had apple devices uh early on there and um yeah i think you know i was exposed in this very small public high school Mm -hmm. to some very cool technology we had an electronics lab where we take electronic stuff apart and i was always fascinated by it so chances are you wouldn't have had that if you were in a different part of the country at that at that stage probably not yeah i was pretty lucky in that respect yeah but i guess i also would say to you john like every company is a tech company. I believe in the John Chambers, you know, kind of thesis that says, if you're going to succeed in uh, uh, any industry, you have to, to basically, it's all driven by tech, right? So yeah. if I lived in Alabama, and I was, you know, do, doing whatever happened there, you you somehow are going to intersect with technology. Yeah. I think. yeah. Um, and I was always fascinated by business. So yeah, no, it's great. That's I'm great. very lucky. I think, you know, I, 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 I tell my kids, I have kids right now that are in college or going into college, right? And I'm like, I don't know how lucky I got by being in tech because it's just, it's been a gift because it's always changer. Yeah. So uh, last question, I'll let you go. If we had gone to Mendocino in junior high and found you and said, here's this, here's this kid with, you know, like everybody, braces and pimples and puberty, would we have gone to Vegas and bet on you to, you know, 30 years later or 20 years later to, to say, yeah, this is, this is probably where he'll end up. Would, what were the signs in seventh or eighth grade that we would have said, yeah, not surprising at all that he ended up where he did. This is a fascinating question that you asked because I actually had, uh, both of my parents were school teachers and, okay. uh, my dad was a music teacher and my mom taught first grade for 40 years. And so, um, in sixth and seventh grade, I was a complete, problem child i was always in trouble in the principal's office and uh i was no 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 uh happiness for my parents right who i can uh, imagine both school teachers are going what did we do wrong here on the campus right and so there was this striking moment where my dad um back in these days you had report cards that were written by hand yeah um you know, you had comments in them and everything. Yeah, I remember so, those. So that was the dark ages, but I remember yeah. those. Yeah. They would pass them around to each you know teacher and they would fill out your, your grade. And so yeah. being a teacher, he had uh, at the end of my seventh year, uh, seventh grade year, um, you know, I had a, a horrible report card. I think it was all C's. 
maybe even some some worse stuff in there but i don't think the comments were very nice in the in the uh the opening areas for that either and so he took me into his study which was an old woodshed and i i, I remember he had basically filled out my eighth grade uh report card for the first quarter and he put my name on the top of it and he put all a's and he put it in this old funky rusted frame and he handed it to me and he said this is this is what it needs to look like and he he handed me this frame and so i put that frame on my uh on my dresser you know, all summer and i was looking at it and i looked you know it basically it was the moment i realized about visualization and sort of like you know how powerful that can be because it was like it was right there every time i you know put on a, a t-shirt i could see this this straight a uh, report card. And so, uh, I will tell you in eighth grade, I got straight A's. Yeah. It's, it's, at the so end was, of it an, was, it an invitation, was it an invitation from your dad or more like a mandate or a threat? No, it, it was very, he wasn't really a threatening. He, uh, well, he's still alive. Uh, but he's, he wasn't a threatening person. It was just more of a, Hey, th you're a smart kid. And like a challenge. Possible. Yeah. This is possible. Right. And so it wasn't a threat. It was more of an aspirational thing. Like yeah. you're wasting your, you're, you're screwing off or whatever. And so, yeah, at the end of that year, I actually, um, I got like a trophy as the most improved child. So I don't know if you would have bet on me in Vegas still. Uh, in eighth grade, in eighth grade, I would have. In seventh grade, I would have said, dude, no yeah. chance. Yeah, save, save the 20 bucks a wager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even still, right, I think about, uh, you know, how people look at hiring people today still, right? And they look at, a lot of different factors, but for me, I look at attitude and aptitude, right? And um, I get in a lot of arguments with people about this, right? Because, oh, you want to hire someone that doesn't look just, you know, like the perfect fit. And right. it's like, well, I'm not the perfect fit, right? I went right. to state colleges right. and... Um, but right. you're, you're not a Stanford MBA and you don't know all that other stuff. You go, no, I, I would have never gotten hired here either. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where I look at. Uh, I'll take a guy all day long that um, has the right attitude, uh, the right aptitude and the right work ethic. Right. And they're and willing to work. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I mean, I, uh, I like the guy who shows up first to the office and isn't afraid to to work a, you know, an 18 hour day if that's what it takes. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah, that's, no, that, that's my uh, my my junior high story. Sorry, you touched yeah. a little nerve there. No, I get it. It's, I saw you get a little emotional. That's, that's why we asked the question, because it's it's a fun question, but it's also, you know, because for everybody, not one person ever has said, oh, seventh and eighth grades were my two favorite years. Everybody says, oh, my God, I was I was the shortest kid or I was the I had grown six inches. So I was the weirdo tall kid or I had big wow. ears or, you know, I had, I had huge braces or, you know, pimples or nobody's in good shape in junior high. That's why it's a perfect Perfect place. Well, I, I had a son who went through that seventh and eighth grade year uh, during COVID. So that oh. I also I think is a very interesting thing, right? Because all of a yeah, sudden he went through puberty and now he's a freshman, you know, but he didn't have the awkward dances and the. He got to skip all that crap. Yeah. The seventh, exactly. Nothing like a seventh grade dance for, for a place where there's no dancing. Yeah. There's yeah, music, exactly. but no dancing. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah. But so it's like you hatch as this like sort of young man. Uh, without any of that. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think that'll be a, a unique That's to, great. To his generation. That's great. That's great. 
Well, Jed, thank you so much for your uh, your insights and your wisdom and your story. It's uh, uh, compelling and inspirational as well. Um, for, for our guests, uh, we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Genius at Scale. Until we see you again, all the best. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.